So we're in part four of this series where we've tried to look at the overarching story of the Bible beyond just Bible stories. In week one, we didn't start at the beginning, as you might imagine. We actually started at the center of our faith and the center of why we have the Bible, the resurrection of Jesus. And the accounts around Jesus' life documented events that happened. Without the tomb being empty, without Jesus' closest followers seeing him resurrected, without hundreds of other eyewitnesses seeing a resurrected Jesus, there would be no reason for there to be a Bible. Because there would be no reason to document the life of someone who was like several other wannabe messiahs, who would claim they were sent from God, but then they were executed by the powers of this world. And the resurrection is what makes Jesus different. It's what gave the writers the reason to document the life and works of Jesus. And then in week two, we looked at the beginning. Because after Jesus rose from the dead, non-Jewish Gentile people started embracing the message of Jesus. And then these Gentile Jesus followers became interested in the origins of this Jesus movement, which traced all the way back to the beginning of the world. And the creation account in Genesis, it tells us the story of a single God, not many gods, created by, created the world. And this single God was different. He wasn't like the many gods all around. And so through Moses, who likely wrote the creation account, we read, in the beginning, we are introduced to a God who gives dignity and value to all people. And this was completely contrary to all the creation myths from ancient times and really even different from modern creation theories. The creation account in Genesis, though, it was challenging for ancient people to wrestle with and even more so for modern Greek and Roman people to deal with because this was a big change to the filter through which they saw life. And this God wasn't like what other people believed, the gods were like, treating people however they wanted to and using them as pawns in their games. And then in week three, last week, we looked at the story of the section of the Bible that causes the biggest problems for many modern people, which is also the biggest section of the Bible, the story of the Old Testament, also called the Law and the Prophets. The Old Testament, though, chronicles the story of human rebellion and God preparing the world for our Savior. Uh, last week, though, we left off with the end of the Old Testament, sort of prophesying the coming of Jesus. And so today, we pick up the story when people were documenting Jesus' life, that he had come, the Savior had come. You know, Matthew, Mark, from the account of Peter, Luke, who researched and interviewed eyewitnesses, and John, one of Jesus' closest followers. And we're picking up the story with a famous church starter or planter who also was writing, but he was writing letters to the church and to the people in those churches that he started. And we know him as Paul, but he initially steps onto the pages of history as Saul of Tarsus. He was born Saul and he was a Jewish man who was a Pharisee with lots of education and knowledge of the Old Testament or the Jewish scriptures. But then he experiences Jesus and his life changes and his name changes to Paul. In fact, Paul's life changes so much and he becomes so famous that many leaders today would suggest that he has fundamentally shaped Western civilization. However, that is not how Paul saw himself. Here's how he described himself. Uh, we're going to start reading in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. You can follow along in the Bible app. If you don't have the Bible app, head to bible.com app. Once you're in the app, head to the more menu option in the bottom right corner, select events, and then you can find our church. We'll also have the notes and verses on the screen as well. Again, Paul says this about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9. For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. 
that even though he wrote so much and started so many churches and reached so many people and explained the relationship between the Jewish scriptures and the Jesus followers, he also knows that he stepped onto the pages of history as someone persecuting Jesus followers. Uh, because one of the biggest things that Paul was known for initially was how he decided he was going to put the early church out of business. Uh, first century Jews, including Paul, thought that these first century Jesus followers were sort of trying to hijack the Jewish scripture to mean things that they didn't think it meant. And, and if you're a skeptic about Christianity, Paul was way more than just a skeptic. And Paul, as a Pharisee, as a Jewish religious leader who knew the Old Testament and knew the Law and the Prophets, Paul decides to stop the Jesus followers from taking the Jewish tradition and values. So Paul, then Saul, went to Jerusalem to the high priest so he could be authorized to go anywhere in Judea and Galilee and arrest Jewish people who had embraced Christianity, or as it was called then, the way. Uh, Paul, acknowledged, Paul would go on to later acknowledge that he was responsible for several people losing their lives and for other people being tortured or pressured to reject Jesus. And yet, in this strange but powerful twist of events, God recruited Saul of Tarsus to become the person that would take the message of Jesus to basically the entire Roman Empire. Paul was that person. And so an important reminder for all of us today, regardless of what you have done, where you've been, and what you've done to others, there is room for you in God's new kingdom. Because I assume your story, your sin, your guilt, and your shame compared to Paul would pale in significance to what he claimed to have done to people in the name of God. And yet Paul plays an incredible role in the story of the Bible. We're going to highlight four things about Paul that make him an important character in the story of the Bible and also connect us to the story of the Bible as well. Number one, he wrote some of the Bible. Paul actually wrote a lot of letters to the churches that he started around the Mediterranean Sea and 13 of these letters survived antiquity. Uh, several were two churches with some to individuals and then a famous longer one to the Jesus followers living in Rome. Now Paul's letters were circulated and these letters were considered so valuable that the church also meticulously copied them and eventually over time they were considered sacred scripture. But when Paul was writing these letters he was not writing the Bible. When Paul was writing these letters he was writing letters to friends, letters to Jesus followers in other regions, and to friends like Timothy and Titus. Now, the second reason that he's important to the story of the Bible is that, number two, he explains the relationship between parts of the Bible. If you've ever wondered like how the Old Testament and the New Testament, how they sort of work together, Paul is definitely one of the sources you could look to. He explains how Jesus followers should view and use the Old Testament. And he should know because he was an expert in the law as a Pharisee. He knew it inside and out. And the amazing thing about Paul's story is that he pivots in a single afternoon from a law-abiding Jew who wants to stop Jesus followers to becoming a Jesus follower himself. And over time, Paul developed a strong sense of clarity around how the Old Testament works with the New Testament. And Paul would say, read the Old Testament for inspiration. God's people would struggle and God would come through for them. Uh, read it for motivation. God is faithful, and when God's people cry out to him, he responds. And the stories of the Old Testament are the backstory that lead to the coming of Jesus. But he would say, remember, that the entire Jewish Bible is written around a covenant between God and an ancient people, Israel. And Paul understood this because he came from one of the tribes of Israel. And he knew the Old Testament. He knew that the Old Testament is about that covenant relationship and the interactions within that covenant. But with the coming of Jesus, there's a brand new covenant agreement for all people. 
And so Paul was very clear that as Jesus followers, we are to take our application cues from Jesus' new covenant command. The Old Testament is inspirational and motivational with fascinating stories. And the Old Testament points in the direction of Jesus. However, when it comes to knowing how to live your life, how to manage your money, how to manage your marriage and your relationships, Paul says that we should take our cues from Jesus' new covenant command. And that Jesus' new covenant command, if you didn't know, was actually found in John chapter 13, verse 34. It says this, So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And don't love as you have been loved by others. Don't even love others the way that you want them to love you. That's the golden rule. That's not what this is. Moving beyond that, Jesus would say, I want you to treat other people in light of the way that your Heavenly Father treated you through me, he would say. He would continue on, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. By this unique kind of love, the world will know that you are my follower. The world will know that you are my follower not by how you celebrate communion, not by how you celebrate baptism or other church things. The world will know that you follow me by your love for one another. And Paul would come along and sort of point back to this thing over and over again. And basically, he would take this new covenant command and apply it to every part of our lives. And Paul would fill his letters with applications of this new covenant command. And so when you read him saying, do this or don't do that, he's not giving new commands, but rather he's giving applications of how to live your life in light of what God through Jesus has done for you. So Philippians chapter 2 verse 5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And that is sort of your guiding light when it comes to your relationships. Well, how do we actually do that? Well, he would go on to say, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who took on the form of a servant, who never powered up even when he was God, even though he was God in a body. And it becomes terrifyingly clear how Jesus would treat that person, right? We know right away. We might not do it, but we know right away what to do, what we should do. And in another letter, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5, And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, why would I want to submit to someone who's not worth submitting to, you might say? Well, Paul would say, you are to submit not out of reverence for that person. You're, submit, you're to submit out of reverence for Christ. That just as Christ came near you and sort of under your burden, just as Christ did for you what you could not do for yourself, you are to do, for the, same, do the same for every single person you meet and have the opportunity with. And then from that verse, he goes on to sort of talk about how husbands and wives can do that within a marriage and what that looks like for children and for work relationships. And Paul, also in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he says this in chapter 4, verse 31. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So why should we forgive others? Because she's not worth forgiving. Do you know how she treated me? Like, I don't want to forgive him. Do you know what he did to me? And Paul reminds us, that is the golden rule. Or you sort of forgive others because you want to be forgiven. And Jesus' new covenant command is beyond all that. That you're to be kind and compassionate to one another and forgive each other just as God and Christ forgave you. That's what you're supposed to do. And he would also explain the why in his first letter to the people in, the Cor in Corinth. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. That when Christ died for you, did you know that he bought you? Did you know he basically paid your sin debt? And in paying your sin debt, he bought you out of sin. And so consequently, you don't even belong to you. 
He continues, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, he says, this is what you're supposed to do. Honor God with your bodies. And here's the application of doing this or understanding this. Honor God with your bodies. Your bodies don't belong to you. Your bodies don't belong to your heavenly father, actually. He bought you and he purchased you. And so the reason you should honor God with your body, uh, with what you do with your body, with where you take your body, with how you allow your body to behave, the reason you should honor God with your body is not because of a list of commands. You take your cue from how to use your body and how your body impacts other bodies from what Christ, God did in Christ and what's been done for you. Your body, your behavior, your relationships should all point to Jesus. Now this becomes so important because we all default back to what I don't want to submit to her or to him or to them because they aren't worth submitting to. I don't want to avoid that because it might feel good. I don't want to forgive them because they didn't even ask for forgiveness or even apologize. And we all need to be reminded that we don't take our cues from the other person or even from ourselves. We take our cues from Jesus who said, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And on that day that Jesus said that, Jesus washed Judas's feet, knowing Judas would betray him. And the next day, Jesus would lay down his life for the people who would abandon him in his greatest time of need. And Paul helps remind all of us who we are to take our cues from, and that it's this demonstration of love that will mark you. This is sort of extreme love is gonna be your brand. People will know you are my Jesus followers by the way that you treat people, the way that God has treated you through Christ. And so Paul is important to the story of the Bible because he wrote some of the Bible. He explains the relationship between parts of the Bible. And then number three, he authenticates the most important event recorded in the Bible. And as we have said, the most important event in the Bible is the resurrection of Jesus. And also the reason that we even have the Bible. Now, perhaps when you were in high school or college or maybe in graduate school, someone made the case that the authorship of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is disputed. Uh, maybe even also the dates of those accounts were disputed as well. Basically, the claim is that these accounts of Jesus' life were written by the Christian community many, many, many years after the eyewitnesses of this supposed resurrection, after those eyewitnesses had died. And the claim is that the myth of the resurrection of Jesus it sort of grew over time and was eventually embraced by the Christian community. Now, there are many problems with that claim and that argument against the Gospels. And one of the big problems is not what we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, but rather something Paul said in his first letter to the Corinthians. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians to the Jesus followers living in Corinth, and it's actually evidence that Jesus' resurrection was accepted immediately after it happened, not eventually. That the Christian Jewish community in Jerusalem immediately accepted the idea of Jesus' resurrection, not many, many years later. And here's a bit of support for that. Because no one disputes that Paul was a historical figure, and no one disputes that he wrote the letter we call 1 Corinthians. Also, most people agree that he wrote it around the year 55 to a church he planted about three years earlier in 52. Now, Paul possibly became a Jesus follower around the year 37, which would be about four to seven years after the resurrection of Jesus. And then in the year 40 and 49, he visited the church leaders in Jerusalem. And this is important because if the Christian community created and fabricated the story of the resurrection, then how in the world did Paul know about it so close to the time of the resurrection? That in his letter to the Jesus followers living in Corinth, he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Let me now remind you, dear brothers and sisters, of the good news I preached to you before. Because Paul visited them years before 
he wrote this letter. Verse 3, I passed on to you what was most important and what also had been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. That basically Paul is saying he didn't make this up. Someone told me and I'm passing it on to you. And again, no one disputes the fact that Christ died and that he was crucified. And yet, very early on, the Christian community embraced this idea that Christ's death was meaningful for humanity. This was not an idea that the church created many, many years later, as we see, as, we, as Simon has told us. Verse 4, he was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scripture said. He was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. Now, it would be reasonable to ask, Paul, how do you know that a resurrected Jesus was seen by Peter and the twelve? To which Paul would likely answer, I talked to them when I visited Jerusalem years earlier. Verse 6, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Paul is saying that hundreds of people saw a resurrected Jesus, not hundreds of years later when it would have been hard to fact check and the myth sort of could have been created at that point. As Paul was writing this, most of the, those eyewitnesses were still alive. So you could check what he was saying by going to Jerusalem and talking with those eyewitnesses. And Paul isn't done yet. He continues on verse 7. Then Jesus was seen by James and later by all the apostles. So Paul is an important character of the story of the Bible because, number three, he authenticates the most important event recorded in the Bible. And lastly, Paul is an important character in the story of the Bible because, number four, his life is evidence of the transformation and new life God offers all people. You don't go from persecuting Jewish Jesus followers to becoming a Jesus follower without something or someone transforming your life. And while the other reasons Paul is important to the story of the Bible are important, that he wrote part of it, he explains part of it, he authenticates the resurrection, the most significant reason Paul is an important character in the story of the Bible is because of how his life was radically changed. Remember what he said about himself at the beginning when he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of all the apostles. In fact, I'm not even worthy to be called an apostle after the way I persecuted God's church. And yet, he eventually gave his life to sharing the message of Jesus because he knew personally how that message could change other people's lives as well. And the story of the Bible and the story of Jesus are worth retelling for every generation and for every group of people because this is a story for them. And it's a story for you. The story of the Bible chronicles rebellion and brokenness in our world and in our hearts as well. But the story of the Bible also chronicles how the God who created humanity and gave dignity and value to humanity also was preparing a way forward, a way of redeeming the broken world and our broken hearts through Jesus. And the most powerful part of the story of the Bible is that the story of the Bible can intersect and transform our story. And we'll end today's message with actually two more instances of transformation in the story of the Bible. Uh, first, the Bible ends by pointing to the future day when all wrongs are made right, when evil is eradicated, when humans and God spend eternity together, and that Jesus' followers are called to hope for that day when Jesus will come and change everything. Won't that be an amazing change from our current situation? And then the second thing is, after all the documents were written, and after many years, decades of persecution from the Roman Empire, for any Jesus follower who would possess any of the documents from Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, after decades and centuries of persecution, eventually, in the fourth century, Constantine comes along, and he lifts the ban on other religions. And so, in an ironic twist, the empire that was responsible for crucifying Jesus 
would eventually fund the collection and copying of the documents recording the story of Jesus. And eventually the Bible comes together. And just like the story of the Bible sort of intersected generations and, and documented the transformation of lives, so too the story of the Bible can intersect and transform your story, just like it has for me and so many of you watching today. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the story of the Bible. Thank you for Paul and the important role that he played in that. Thank you for the amazing transformation that we see in Paul's life and how you gave him a new life, going from somebody that was trying to stop your followers to becoming one. God, thank you so much for that transformation. Because for many of us, that's kind of a personal story that we know that our life before you was basically going against you. Was, it was, looked completely different from your life that you'd have for us. And so, God, we know that you can transform us just like you transformed Paul because of our experience, because we've experienced that too. And God, for the people who haven't experienced that and want to experience that, would you do something in their heart right this moment? Would you help them to know that you offer them that same opportunity, that same life, that new life that you offered Paul? And it's through Jesus and what he did that he could overcome death and the cross and so he can overcome whatever it is in our life as well. So God, would you help us to turn to you? Would you help us to look to you for the transformation and the new life that we want? Would you help us to be a part of your story, the invitation that you invite us to be a part of your story? Would you help us to step into that? Would you help us to follow you into a new life, a transformed life? Thank you for Jesus being able to do that. It's in his name we pray. Amen.